Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 85. And you know, remember, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, Tommy, you can also go over to YouTube um, and see our beautiful faces in full Technicolor. Um, but, you know, if you're driving, Tommy, then, you know, make sure you stick to listen to the audio version. <laughs> Clearly. Now, you can, of course, um, head over to Camera... Well, in fact, no, you should head over to CameraShakePodcast.com and join our uh, camera shake community because that is where we will let you know um about new things you know stuff that's coming mm -hmm. up and all that kind of stuff because we've got something coming up actually we do but should we just wait for just a couple of seconds while they go do that exactly remember camera shake podcast.com all right let's leave to uh, head over there camera you done it yet with a c shake camera shake podcast.com You'll see a button that says join the community. Hit that. Join our community. Yes. Is that enough time? That's enough time. Life will be beautiful henceforth. Excellent. Thank you. For doing that. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. So we've got something coming up. Um, Can you tell we're tired today? Well, there's that. Um, now, I've got something um, interesting coming up, or in the pipeline, um, I should say. Okay. Because we're going to have our first behind the scenes feature. Oh, yes. Coming up. Yes. Batman. Oh, but yeah, today, today, I am, I'm Batman. Is that how he says it? Apparently, I'm Wonder Woman. Yeah. Which, you know, I can yeah. let my hair down a little bit. You've not got the legs for well. it. Anyway, so, behind the scenes. Mm. Um, now, a little while ago, we went um, to meet our friend David Williams in the midst of the, the Welsh forest. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, what we, and obviously, we created an episode um, out of that, which was episode 70, where we went to see his van. Um, he's currently in Iceland as we record, as we're recording this episode. Um, but by the time this comes out, he might be on his way to Finland, I believe. Or Norway. So is that his next journey? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So, but, uh, when we went to, uh, to meet with him, we actually shot a whole lot of behind the scenes footage, mm. which, um, was really fun to do. It was fun to do. Um, was it the first lot of BTS stuff we've done in that way? Yeah, we did, I think yeah. it might be, right? Yeah. It was. yeah. So it's, you know, as, as with anything new, is working out how to do it well, and it was, do it efficiently, you know? Yeah. And it was also, it was also our first road trip. Mm, yeah. You know, um, other than, no, we went to London for our um, first anniversary episode. That's true. And we know how the BTS went for that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one minute or two minutes. I think we've got two minutes of usable material um, out of a full day. But, you know, um, so, so yeah, going to Wales, that was our, like our second shot at that. Yeah, it was. Um, and it went a little bit better this time, didn't it? No, a little yeah, bit it better. was fun. It was actually, you know... Um, so for those of you watching on YouTube, you are currently hearing my cat and watching my cat run back and forward on the uh, the sofa there. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so so it was uh, it was interesting because, you know, we were sitting on a behind-the-scenes footage for a little while. Mm. And then, you know, we thought, well, we'll dig it out and we'll we'll make something out of it. Um, and I think as we were in the process of, of doing that, it just turned out to be a really fun little project. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. it's just, it's just the stuff that you don't see when you actually watch the episode. Yeah. So, it's, um, I, personally, I like watching that stuff, um, from other people, yeah. um, because it, you know, it, well, there's a couple of reasons. It's that voyeuristic kind of side of people's personalities, that they, you know, that they, they like. And, you know, like seeing what goes into making the main video that you you saw. It, yeah. You know, 
I find it, it find it feels like you're a bit like you're there. Um, I always pick up some tip or idea of saying, "Oh, what? How's he lighting yeah. that? How's he? What gears are using on that?" And you can just even whether they're talking about it or not, you can still see it half yeah. the time, and that just can generate new, fresh ideas. And that that's exciting. That's fun for yeah. me to watch. I generally prefer prefer watching that kind of stuff than I do watching whatever the main video was about. Well, I can take from it what yeah. I want to take from it rather than what I'm being told to take from it. Yeah, because the thing about this particular episode was that, you know, the main um, part of it was basically us sitting by a campfire, you know, talking. Yeah. Um, he talked to Dave about uh, his van and about the adventures that he was planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we did a van walkthrough yep. tour thing. Um. And what was really interesting was, this, I remember, you know, I was filming you whilst you were filming Dave. Yeah. And so what I managed to do was I managed to synchronize it so you can basically see the original van footage, but at the same time you can see me filming you. So you get that that real, like, first-hand um, view of, of what's happening. As, as if that, you were Is there. that technically first-hand? I don't, I don't know. Is that second-hand? It's getting too complicated. Who was filming you filming me? Filming I remember there, there was a point where Dave was filming me filming you. While I was still filming him? Whilst you, I think you were filming the Is this van some weird little freeway going on? It was very <laughs> yeah, strange. Very, very wow. strange. So, um, this is no longer the Camera Shake podcast. This is <laughs> <laughs> we're, shaking, we're shaking it up again. But, um, but yeah, so it turned, out, it turned out to be really quite fun. Um, yeah. You know, we've, we've left it relatively raw. Um, so, you know. Oh, totally raw. So yeah. you can really see um, you know, what was happening behind the scenes. But... You know, again, if you want to have a look at that, you know, head over to camerashakepodcast.com, um, hit the uh, join the community button, and within the next week or so, um, you will be the first to uh, to be able to see that very video. So this is, at this point, exclusively for um, for members of our community. Which Absolutely. Which should be pretty good crack. Uh, the other thing we did on that day was um, uh, GoPro'd it in the car. <laughs> yeah. <All> right? <laughs> yes. And... <clears throat> That was, what did we get? I got a old suction cup, doobry, whatever, yes. yeah. whatever, I don't know, what, hold, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that went on the windscreen and just, you know, tilted the camera up and just filmed us whenever we were ready to go, right? Yeah. Now, should we talk about the audio? Because we're not sure what's going to happen with that yet. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> there, I tell you what, we're not going to give too much away, but, um, but there was a point when I, jumped into Dave's van. We basically met up with Dave. I jumped into this van and then you were following the van. Um, and of course you were filming stuff whilst unbeknownst to me, whilst, whilst I was in the van. Um, and I only got to see that footage when you sent that footage over to me. And so, you know, imagine my surprise when I was like, you saw it like two days ago. For well, the first well time. yeah. When yeah. I was like sifting yeah. through the, the GoPro footage, I'm like, Oh, okay. That's funny. Anyway. So there are a lot of like hidden gems in there. Mm. I would say. Um, yes, I am a hidden gem. <laughs> this is well worth well worth checking out. Um, yeah, so that's uh, again, you know, that's going to be um, if you uh, if you head over to camerashakepodcast.com, you know, uh, hit the uh, join the community button, and then within the next week or so, um, you'll be able to see that special footage, mm-hmm. which should be super awesome. Good times. Now, it's Christmas isn't far. <sighs> not far off humbug humbug <laughs> humbug it's like from how many weeks is it two weeks i've been too busy to begin months. thinking about it mm. let alone think about presents and all not that i generally do presents all that often i have to say i'm 
I am a humbug in that respect. <laughs> um, well, you know, and do you know what most of the reason is? And this is no disrespect to anyone who's ever got me a present at Christmas. It's generally something I don't want. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just generic <clears throat> stuff, right? It's nothing I, I quote unquote asked for um, or whatever by myself. And there is a reason for that. Well, there's two reasons. One is anything that I actually want, I generally just get during, during the course of the year because I want it. And if I want it, I need it. Yeah. That's how I that's how I justify it. If I want it, I need it. <laughs> it's not the other way around. Um, and the other thing is no one ever, 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 ever knows what to buy me because yeah. I generally buy everything I, I want to get over the course of a year. Yeah. So I'm impossible. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've simulations of my wife keeps telling me that I have very expensive taste. Because the thing is, you know, for, like, I can't work out whether that was a slight dig at you or a compliment to her. Well, I mean, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> probably a little bit of both, a little bit of both. But I mean, it's true to say that anything to do with photography is, you know, or can get really quite pricey. It can, you know, and so, God forbid someone who's not a photographer tries to buy something for you, photography related, not exactly. knowing without asking you first. Well, I mean, mm. I think we've we've been, we've probably both been through the like, you know, the lens cup. Type. have you ever have you ever gotten like a canon lens no a 24 to 70 no as a cup no no really no, I've, i haven't i've had no. several of those I've had, I've had two of those i remember really yeah mm. both canon really <laughs> what can i say I Superb. Mean, yeah, that just i mean that just says everything right people are trying to give you a hint <laughs> <laughs> well maybe but um you know or uh one, one of my personal favorites was a t-shirt that says um you know something like um Everybody thinks they're a photographer until then manual. You like a manual. Oh, timer. yeah. Um, so. I think uh, people generally just steer clear of that stuff for me, except all the cameras I've got over there. And if you go back to some earlier oh, episodes yeah. about a year mm -hmm. ago, um, where we had a slightly different setup, um, you'll see that there are some cameras kind of behind us, technically, near the, near the mirror. And all of those cameras, bar one um were presents and i remember when you got those mm. and they're like film cameras mm. as in like as in movie cameras yeah two of them um one's a uh cam uh, stills camera yeah but yeah but well, that kind of thing i mean you know that kind see, of that thing cool. is interesting they were very yeah. cool to receive i love those things yeah see that's a good idea maybe yeah that's actually a very good idea if you have any great ideas for uh, you know christmas presents for photographers then uh, let us know because you know i will I'll pass it on to my wife <laughs> and my children who think, you know, they can get away with buying me Reese's. Yeah. Cups. <laughs> you pretty much get something oddly loosely related to photography. You get something Star Wars related oh, yeah. or you get Always. something chocolate related. <laughs> totally. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or something Czech. Uh, yeah. And I'm, you know, who am I to uh, decline that? You're also wearing black jeans for the first time. i I've never seen you in black jeans before. That is because I... Is my style rubbing yes. off? <laughs> yeah, absolutely rubbing off, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's because I never... Well, I mean, I have owned black jeans in the past, but not, you know, yeah. I'm a blue jean kind of guy. Are they uh, Levi's? Oh, they are indeed. They are indeed Levi's. Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> Le Levies. Levies. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... What's your ideal photographer's Christmas presents? Like we're thinking about this, you know, what's the kind of thing that you can always need as a photographer? That's mm. not necessarily like anything flashy or exciting, but something like, you know, 
memory cards. Consumables, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there's the kind of stuff that would actually be useful. Like, you know, yeah. like I said, your memory cards, lens cloths. <laughs> All of the really sexy stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> both of those for sure. Although they also need to be the right memory cards. <laughs> well, so that's, that's, that's yeah, a slight right. issue. Yeah. Um, Filters. Filters are always nice. Um, spare batteries are always nice as well. Um, particularly... <laughs> your batteries are expensive. All the cash for those. Yeah. They're, what, are they 120-odd quid per battery? For the, the C70? C oh, really? Okay. I thought um, it was more like on the 250 size. Or something. You can get one that's double the size for that. Okay. But it, it is physically double the size right. too, uh, which is kind of understandable. Uh, I just... Don't worry, it most most of the time I'm unable to yeah. plug it in via DC anyway, so it's yeah, not a problem. But batteries are always always nice. What else? Um, camera bags. I think no, camera bags I, are I, tricky, man. Uh, camera um, bags, yeah. like they're personal as well. Yeah, very. And I would, I've got enough bags floating around. I don't need another one knocking about. Yeah, on the flip side, one can never have enough bags. <gasps> I almost bought you a bag the other week. Did you? Yeah, and I've. Comp- <laughs> I was going to go back and get ah. it because I thought, no, Wayne, he's already got one. Right. And but um, it was a, a World War One gas mask um, bag, like Ooh. like the one you've got. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I think it came with the gas mask as well. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Um, in uh, some vintage um, shop down near down near Bournemouth, or no, okay. sorry, down near Brighton, right. a place called Lewis. Okay. Yeah, that, that was a f- few months ago now. I'd forgotten all about that. Hmm. Mm. Oh well, there you go. So here's a tip for all of you uninitiated: um, World War II gas mask bags, or World War One or whatever they are, World War Two, I guess. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Make yeah. really good bags for cameras, as in, like you know, when you're like on a little trip or something, you yeah. you, you, you know, you're taking one camera, one lens, one camera, one lens, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they make a really nice little carry around. Yeah, actually, yeah, they, and they look great. Yeah, true. They look really good. Um, and the fact that they're still around means they're really, you know, sturdy and solid. Does yours still smell like mustard gas? No, but it, it still smells of the... There was... Um, I found a little, like a little um, box in it, um, like a little case that contained like a sort of a, like a rubbery substance. I guess that it's, it's like, a, you know, like... Um, I don't know. It's like, Camera shake shakes it up again. Yeah, like a fatty sort of sub- substance. I think what they used to do was... <laughs> Um, they used to lubricate the rubber on the yeah. on the gas mask with it, and that really smelled bad. So really? that bag actually smells of that. So yeah. Well, you must be able to get rid of that smell somehow. Oh, you can wash it. it. No, because um, I'm sort of it's kind of like a canvasy sort of material, and I don't really want to wash it. Mm, dry clean it? Oh, I don't know. It's don't a bag. Know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly. This is not it's not mm. that important. No. But um, but yeah. So that's and then I have a flare gun bag, um, which is the perfect bag for the dog to take all of his dog stuff out yeah you know, you balls go. and like his water bottle and all that kind of jazz nice so yeah the dog has his own sack <laughs> <laughs> not for much it. not for much longer for... <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah not for that's much longer that's true poor boy yeah. <laughs> poor boy again not for much longer <laughs> so um oh, man. yeah bags are, bags are good but they're you know personal I mean I think you know if you're not a photographer, obviously it's extremely difficult to know what to what to buy. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. I think it's just as hard for, for a photographer to buy another photographer a present. Oh, for sure. It's, it's probably just, even worse. You don't necessarily. Yeah, it probably is worse. 
You can't be sure what the other person's really going to yeah. want. And like, you just don't know. Because you really, what, the things you need are typically things like, they're really boring things like light stands. I don't even know the light stand. You know what I mean? Oh. Although, I mean, to be honest, I don't need that. I have like a whole room mm-hmm. full of light stands. You know, you can always Frankenstein some together in the end. You know, it's a bit like music stands if you're into music, I guess. Clamps. Clamps are always good. Cool little things like that would be nice. Yeah. A platypod. You can get me one of them if you want. That's right. If you're listening. Mm. And a plastic ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll have both of those, please. Yeah. Tripods, you know. Um, yeah. Christmas presents. Well, again, if you can think of any uh, interesting Christmas presents for photographers, just then let us know. Not only because, you know, it'll give me an idea as to what to buy you for, bre- for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say for Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Brexit, everyone. Do you have a years ago that was now? Um, well, that. Was it two years ago? When did it actually come in force? Was it last January? Not today. Yeah. Who cares? So it's about it's, a year ago. It's the worst subject mm. in the world. Yeah, well. So, um, mm. cool. Now. What else we got? I'll tell you what, actually, there's one thing that comes to mind. One thing I, I, uh, I read about the other day. This is hilarious. Um, so <laughs> this, um, this guy uh, called Kyle Sheely, mm-hmm. or Sheila or Sheely, I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Sheila. 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 Kyle Sheila. Let's, let's, let's stick with that. But um, so the story was um, his dad or his parents had a family photo in their living room mm-hmm. um, of like him and his, his brothers and sisters and, you know, and, and his mom and dad. And what happened was, uh, was that when this photo was taken, I guess, several decades ago or whatever, um, the photographer basically got his dad's his, his dad to to um to sort of angle his head um or to tilt his head whilst everybody else in the in the photograph had a held their head straight right and so as a consequence his dad used to hate that that picture why did the photographer do that I don't know it was just you know which is one of these things but um but anyway so his dad hated that image. And his mom was, you know, sentimentally attached to it. And so therefore it's, it hung in the, in the living room, right, for all these years. And so this guy, Kylie, he kind of thought like, well, you know what? I can fix that for my dad because, you know, I've got Photoshop mm-hmm. skills. And he went in and he basically straightened out his, his dad's head in the photo. But then thought, wouldn't it be funny if I now tilted everybody, else, everybody else's head? And, and so he did. And then he had it printed and framed. And uh, gave it to his dad as a, or, you know, his parents as a Christmas present. And um, needless to say, it was hilarious. Love so, that. Uh, I saw, I what think I saw, idea. I read about this or I saw it on, on YouTube or something like that. I will put the link in the description because that yeah. was, that was super hilarious. Super funny thing. How, um, should we actually get educational for a second? <laughs> educational. Yeah, yeah. How would you go about doing that in Photoshop? Because I'm not sure I've done that before. And I can't, I'm tr- just trying to rack my brains as the 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 right process to go about doing it. Oh, so basic, have you done something like that? Yeah, before? yeah, sure. I mean, basically, what you do is you cut out the head, essentially. You know, put it on a new <laughs> put it on a new layer, um, and then you know you have the head itself. You basically then uh, put it into move it into the position that that yeah. you want it to be in, um, and then you essentially mask out everything behind it. What, what you'll what you'll find is most likely is you find part of the original head underneath. Which then you have to clone out, obviously, right? You know, and um, and make arrangements for that. So that's that's how you do it. You basically cut out the head, copy it onto a separate layer, um, and then. And what, what would you typically use to um, cut out that that head? 
Um, How you, would you select that? Manually? Uh, manually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Have you been using the objects, the object selection tool? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah. How are you finding it? So it depends on the situation, really. Um, it really depends on the situation of what it is that you're doing. So, um, you know, and how precise things need to be and stuff like that. Mm. So typically, um, you need to go into the, you know, the, the selection menu and then basically, you know, refine it a little bit. Um, but sometimes, again, depending on what it is, yeah. sometimes it works straight out of the box. Did you try out the the selection tool that came into Lightroom Um weeks ago months ago whenever it was yes um okay so i haven't per se i mean i have i obviously work with a new version of lightroom quite a lot um and so the way you set filters is a little bit different yeah it is yeah um but i mean ultimately yes it's exactly the same functionality but it's um you know it what it does is it allows you to either select very easily actually select your main subject yeah or select the background or select the sky yeah and so what you can do then is he's good at it too yeah it's very good yeah. at it actually um, and so what it allows you to do is, for instance, you know, let's say you have a subject in front of some background, um, let's say landscape or whatever it is, and you want to either change the sky or you want to um, either change the exposure on the sky or the exposure on the main subject. Let's say you want to darken down the background a little bit mm -hmm. and maybe, um, you know, brighten up the subject, maybe to create a little bit more of separation or whatever yeah. it may be. And that's really easily doable now. It's it's one less thing to go outside of Lightroom to Photoshop to do, for for example. Yes, um, and I mean you could or have done using it, a brush or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. I mean you could have done it in Lightroom before, but um, it was a matter of using brushes and. It's you know. made the pro because I'll often desaturate the background from the subject a little bit as well. True. Um, and it, it's just it's just quick. It's just quick and easy, and it it's, you, easy, it's yeah. you know you don't need. It's just a quick selection. It's done. It's no big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, as I say, you know, it's horses for courses. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you want to do anything, um, if you want to select certain things, like very precisely, for instance, if you're doing a composite or something. Yeah. Then, of course, I mean, Photoshop is clearly Absolutely. the way to go. Um, and there's a whole array. But you're still not working in, in layers in Lightroom, right? Yes, so it's, correct. I mean, that's, you know, you're still working on that one layer, so to speak. Exactly. And that has certain disadvantages yeah. uh, in, in certain situations and advantages in other situations. So, yeah. you know, sometimes doing something similar in Photoshop is actually more convoluted than it maybe needs to be. Um, yet you can be a little bit more precise or accurate, yeah. but then sometimes you don't need to be accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Um, I'll give you a good example. I did, um, I shot a series of thumbnails for somebody um, only recently. And um, they were basically, um, it's just the main, you know, character uh, in front of a white background. And the idea was to basically create two versions, one just on a white background and then uh, one where he's cut out as a PNG so with the transparent background. So he can basically mm -hmm. then superimpose that over sure. any, any whatever thumbnail he was creating. Um, and the selection that was super simple, super fast. No problem. Um, it was literally just the subject uh, selection tool in Photoshop. It did a brilliant job every time. Um, and it was for, for the purpose, it was absolutely good enough. Yeah. And that's the thing to remember, you know, yeah. if you're doing something that, like if you're putting a movie poster together, that's going to be printed in like whatever huge format or something, and it needs to be super accurate, uh, you know, you're going to have to go in and do some more detailed work. Um, if you're doing something like this, that's going to be a thumbnail that people are going to be looking at like on their phone or something. Um, you don't actually have to be that super precise. Yep. So, totally. you know, so it really, it depends on what it is that you're doing. And I think that's why these tools are so 
so brilliant because they you know they make your workflow or they speed up your workflow immensely yeah yeah you know I, I basically i managed to i had quite a few of those to do maybe like 20 you know 25 or something um and i really could burn through them really quite quickly yeah. so that's good man it took me a moment when i first when they first made that update in lightroom to work out how they were doing the different um uh what's the word i'm looking for now filters yes thank you okay. <laughs> and how they were separating them out in that little new kind of in a little box sidebar yeah if you like uh but as soon as i kind of sussed that it was it was fine totally fine yeah um yeah, yeah i mean it's in principle it's still the same thing as it was before it's just the actual the way to get to the filters slightly yeah. different um now you can actually see what's there Rather than having to see the, see the dots that are on your image and click on the one you want to adjust. Yes, yeah, so weirdly, you know? we still don't have uh, layers in Lightroom, but weirdly, we have filter layers, if you want to call it that, because that's kind of what it is. Kind of what it is. You know, yeah. So, yeah. But it's, you know, it's uh, it's good. Um, I like the way they, you know, put new new functionality. Yeah, in. totally. Well, it's just, just like, do you remember, like, about a year ago, um, Adobe came out, or Photoshop uh, came out with the Sky Replacement Tool. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, similar similar idea the ai in that is actually so good that for most intents and purposes uh, replacing a sky using that tool is super quick super easy yeah you know if you're a property photographer for example and um you know you want to replace the sky um because i don't know maybe it was a dreary day or something like that yeah. Um, then, well, like most of them do when they take the photos when it's raining and still leave the rain, rain on the floor. I mean, you know, it's, it's no surprise. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, when you go to like a, an estate agent, um, you know, a, um, a realtor or an estate agent, as we call it over here, um, you look in the shop window and you basically see all these all these images of these houses and like every image has a blue sky in the background and you're mm. going to go, well, we don't have down that many blue sky days in the UK. Yeah. I mean, or is it that on a he one... Was, he was super busy that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like everyone went out on that one day. <laughs> Blue skies. Woo! You know, I mean, clearly, um, a large proportion of those skies are fake. Yeah. doesn't matter, though. I mean, in, again, for this not. particular purpose, who cares? Exactly. You know, because, well, would you buy a house that's like... Exactly. That looks dreary? At that point, you're not selling the house. You're selling the idea of the house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and, you know, you're depicting the house... I mean, it's a bit like headshots where you basically, mm -hmm. you're creating an image of the way somebody looks on their best day. That's the idea, I yeah. think. You know, rather than, um, you know, rather than, like if somebody's somebody's gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, had a really crappy day um, and then turns up for a, for a headshot session, you know, you just want to give them something that makes them look like they look yeah. On, on a really good day yeah um that doesn't mean that you know you're faking anything or anything else it just means you know you give them a little bit of mm -hmm. you know credo in that, in that respect. so exactly so yeah exactly cool now i came across something um that i found actually uh really um you know an interesting read um there was an article called the six signs you don't have to take you don't have what it takes to be a pro photographer Oh, so six signs you don't have what it takes to be a pro photographer. And as I was reading it, I was kind of like, I was kind of thinking, well, okay, you know, a what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. b, you know, maybe you know, maybe in some instances I sort of agreed with the article, and in other instances I kind of thought it was a little far fetched. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, sounds like a, a slightly clickbaity title yeah maybe but you know we're all 
world full of a clickbait, sure. Yeah. Surely, oh, yeah. Once in a while. So <laughs> not that our that our video titles were ever, ever clickbaity, ever. No. Ever. Not once. <laughs> yeah, not 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 once. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, one thing was uh, for example, you know, uh, you're blaming other people for your own failures. Okay. That's a life lesson though. That's, that that's totally life. That's exactly what I thought. That's nothing to do with photography. It's related to anything you do in life that that's related to growing up yeah remember that <laughs> yeah well yeah it's a conversation i have yeah, with let me know when you finished well yeah there's a conversation <laughs> i have with my kids all the time you know um it's you know it's this age-old thing it's like you know if you if something happens you know you make a mistake you know own it yeah. and people will respect you for it and, absolutely and actually the consequences are going to be much less severe if you than, walk, go go through you know your job or life Blaming other people for things that you do wrong, it's, it just makes you look ridiculous. But you do that, particularly when you're younger. Oh, for sure. It's really normal. Yeah, kids do it all the time. It's really, really normal. Even throughout your 20s, you're, yeah. you're still like that because you're still learning, you're still finding your way. What I like about kids sometimes is they have this like, really abstract logic. But they mm. pick up a glass of water, drop it on the floor, and then they go, oh, it wasn't my fault. I saw you just drop it. Oh, yeah, it, it was the glass's fault because it was, it was slippery. You blame that inanimate object. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's like, right. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, blaming other people for your own failures is really a, you know, it does two things. I mean, first of all, you know, it doesn't do you any favors, but, but also um, it means you're not going to be progressing because, you know, if we learn from our own mistakes, yeah. you know, then that's what kind of gets us, you know, that's what allows us to develop yeah. and to get better. And the first number one thing there is that we have to actually, we have to admit to ourselves that we've, made something you, you know, know did something wrong and it's one of those where um uh people don't expect you to be perfect people don't believe anybody is uh, is perfect people expect mistakes to happen no matter what job it is what it is you're actually sure. it doesn't matter what you're doing what's really important is how you react to that mistake and how you correct it whether it's happening on the shoot at that moment it's working out mm, this is a problem I I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I've messed that up, or whatever I've yeah. done, I should have done this. How do you correct that problem in the situation is what makes you brilliant at what you do, or maybe not so, quite so brilliant. And of course, you know, if you think about the conversations that we've had with, you know, several guests on the show, mm. um, you know, it's this this constant like pushing forward, like pushing through your mistakes, you're learning from them, and then using that knowledge um to, you know, to improve yourself and to get better mm -hmm. and uh, you know i think that if you're if you're constantly blaming other people um for your failures then you're really putting a roadblock in in your own way of of getting better you stop your own progression yeah exactly and yeah. that's you know so that's that's one of those things um so i mean you know in, in a sense i sort of agree with that statement that I totally, uh, you I know 100 agree with it i don't think it has anything to do with photography as such yeah it's, but, a, it's a life it's a um, life thing yeah what was number two? Yeah, so number two was the inability to change and adapt. Uh, okay, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's... Another life lesson right there. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, in photography, you know, in particular, it's... Quite just, connected to the first one. Yeah, and you can kind of sort of see how, you know, when things change, like, for instance, uh, you know, when, I don't know, I'm guessing, because I sort of somehow remember it, but not really, you know, when, like, when film changed to digital, for example, I'm, I'm guessing there were a whole bunch of people who just weren't ready for that change and likewise you know when dslrs changed to mirrorless similar sort of thing 
um, you know, that can be hard to, you know, to digest maybe when a change like yeah. that happens and you're so stuck in your ways and there's, there's certain things you've done one way. So I would relate this. To, so for those of you out there who, you know, have a, you know, a regular day job, perhaps you work in an office, you've probably seen this there. If you've been at a, play, a particular um, company for an extended period of time, mm. you will find that people, you know, companies, departments, they develop and they change and they morph and they ebb and flow depending on what's going on with the business. Mm. And, but there are many people who, and I would include myself in this some time ago, for sure, would find it very, very difficult to see things change and develop and progress forward when you've got so used to and what's going on and being comfortable with how things were, mm. the status quo. And so you find that they ultimately become resentful because they are the ones that aren't trying to adapt to the new situation. Yeah. And that becomes a problem. All it does is it makes you bitter. It makes you bitter. Yeah, I promise you, I've seen it happen to myself. This is this thing like uh, people usually call themselves authentic. As a point. Oh, <laughs> it's that's like, a cop out what right does it there. Even mean? <laughs> you know, that's amazing. No authentic. Um, I mean, that really does some really good examples. Um, in this particular article, one example was Kodak. And, you know, that, I guess that's actually a really good example. That's mm -hmm. a good example for a company that wasn't ready to change. Um, and, you know, and therefore ultimately went under. Yeah. You know, and who would have thought that, like, back in the... When I was a kid, like, Kodak was, like, one of the biggest, mm -hmm. you know, film manufacturers or, yeah. or, or businesses, companies in, in the photo world. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's obviously gone downhill. So. Yeah. And we've probably seen it a lot over the last 18 months or so with, with COVID, those businesses who had the foresight in advance True. to see, okay... Online shopping is going to be the future for the majority of things. Let's get ourselves into that and make sure we're doing it. Apparently twice as many senior citizens are using online shopping now compared to before the pandemic. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So that's, you know, that's, that's an interesting there's, statistic. There's lots of downsides to doing it that way, but yeah. there are so many positives. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, number three was being too proud. These are all kind of saying the same thing, aren't they? <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a toughie. Um, that's a difficult one to overcome. Do you think it, it, the first thing he mentions is, is something like you know that mainly applies to men? Do you agree with that? Mm, no, not necessarily. I, I I think it's fair to say that men are generally slightly more proud mm. than than women. I think it's a weird stupid masculinity type thing that we have but mm. it's probably true but i i know many women are just as proud as i am you know it's i tell you where i see the problem with that is um and i find this you know i find this in myself a lot um you know i, I i'm always of the opinion that you know once you know i have an idea and then i go and execute it and then once that idea is done, of course, I mean, of course, you, you know, if you think you've created something really special or you're really happy with the result, you know, the the portrait or mm. whatever, of course, you know, of course you're proud, rightly so. You can be Absolutely. proud. Absolutely, should be. But, um, you know, for me, it's always like when I get to the finished product, I'm already playing with other ideas. And, you know, I, I never rest on that, on those laurels for too long. I just went, I, I just usually, I just go on, 
um, and start working on the next thing. Because um, you know, we've talked about this before. It's it's the, the process of creating something that you know attracts me to actually creating something. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much the finished the finished article. What happens is you end up building up a nice little sort of almost like library of work that way. You know, I think if you you know if you do something and then you spend too much time resting on your own laurels there, then that just takes you away from actually creating more work. Mm. You know, um, and then I think that could probably lead to like you know to the the one trick pony type of affair. If you know what I mean. I do. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite possible that I think um, you know. I mean, does that mean though that that you're not a, a pro photographer? Though I mean, this is like you know, in context, I kind of think, well, um, you know, there are. I mean, there are photographers who do one thing and they do one thing and they do it extremely well, and then it's just literally just a matter of shoot, repeat, shoot, repeat. Mm-hmm. You know, headshot photographers very often. You know, if they really do absolutely nothing else than that one thing, um, you can you can look at that and you kind of go, well, okay, what else you got? Yeah, you know, um, and at the very least, do something else just to stop yourself getting disillusioned with photography because you are just doing the same thing over yeah, and exactly. over and over. You've got superb at it, and you know, and sometimes it's well worth looking at. You know, if you look, if you, for instance, I remember when I first discovered Peter Hurley's work, um, headshot work. You know, I was really, really impressed with mm. uh, what he does, and. Um, you know, and of course, because he's so known um, in in the world of headshot photography, it's very easy to miss some of the other stuff that he does. And right. then I came across a, a portrait series that he'd done uh, in Hawaii, and and actually these portraits are great. Yeah, they're cool. They're really, yeah. really cool. Quality. Um, and that really tells you, you know, there's much more to him than just shooting headshots. Mm-hmm. You know, much, much more. And that's that's the thing. So the fourth point was uh, indifference. What did he mean by that? So it's it's one of these things where I think, you know, as a as a creative in general, and I think most creatives possess this curiosity mm-hmm. when it comes to other people's work, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, where you look at something, you go, wow. You know, I've never, I don't know how, either like I've never seen that done before, or it's like, I wonder how that's been done, or... That's like just such a striking image or, you know, that's the thing, you know, is when we would talk about this all the time, we on and off air, actually, you know, we come across something like, oh, have you seen this? Blah, 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 you know? So, um, so I think you need that curiosity, not only, yeah. you know, I mean, mainly really, again, to, to develop yourself, you know, and indifference in that, in that context is, is like when you really just, you know, you put your blinkers on and you're really just not interested in anybody else's work. Mm. Yeah, it's... I think it's difficult. I think because you you go through stages, don't you? Um, When you're really starting out and you're learning, I think the majority of people are learning because they love doing it and they Mm. love learning. So you're always on the lookout for what's going on, what's new, how do I do that? How does that work? How do I get all of that kind of stuff? And you do that by looking at other people's work a lot of the time. Then you get to a certain stage where you're, you're, you know, you're really competent. You're quite accomplished with what you're doing. And I think that, that curiosity can wane a little bit because you've got all that skill there and you, you know, you've got really good at what you do, but you can, 
you can rely on that or too much, not rely, that's the wrong word, but you can, you know, you, you can rest on that a little bit too mm. much and just think, oh, I'm really good at this now. But actually that, again, just hinders you. The more you look around and you look at other people's work, the more you, you're going to start spotting things that you aren't doing or mm. you'll start realizing they're doing it exactly the same way as I'm doing it, but why does theirs look like that and mine doesn't look quite the same? Yeah. What is it that's different? What are they doing differently? And this that's when you reach a different stage of your learning because you're yeah. now into the minutiae of inches with where the light's placed to the difference that it makes. Yeah. You know, the tenth of power change that just makes that little, or whatever it might be. It's it's also the, the deconstruction part of it. Um, I yeah. Think that's, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. I remember the first time I shot a boxing match or fight, mm -hmm. right? And, um, Hello, cats. And, you know uh, she can stay. So. <laughs> I remember there were two rings. <laughs> there were two fights going on at the same time. And I was shooting one ring. There was another photographer shooting another ring. And so, you know, we were getting ready and, you know, we're having a chat and everything. And then we're just casually chatting about camera settings. And it turned out that his settings are completely different from mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sort of thought, well, you know, some of it made sense, some of it didn't make sense. And I'm just, you know, and I was just, the mulling it over in my head, thinking like, why is he making these decisions? But he had way more experience shooting, um, you know, fights than mm -hmm. compared to me. And so I think I shot the first, first two fights. They're relatively short, these kind of fights, obviously, because it's like three, three rounds and usually somebody goes down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I shot the first couple of fights and I kept thinking, okay, okay. My, my plan isn't hundred percent working. Right. And then I sort of switched to um to the sort of settings that you know we, we discussed and actually once you then put into action you realize okay that's a logic that's a sound logic to this you know um because things are happening so fast that you really don't have time to to react mm. so this whole thing about you know shooting manual for example okay that's all a great idea and everything and maybe it, you know it makes you feel like you're somehow superior because, you know, you're shooting a manual or whatever. But the reality is, um, in this particular situation, you know, your camera can react quicker on some of those sort of semi-automatic modes than, mm -hmm. uh, than you can. And that's what gives you the extra so kind of headspace to, to really, you know, uh, make sure you hit the button, or you hit the yeah. shutter at the right moment. So what have you been using shutter priority? Um, yeah, so there was a number of there were a number of different changes. Like uh, he he um, used auto ISO, which I literally never used before. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it made perfect sense again because because of the way um, the whole thing was lit, the lighting conditions were changing. I when I went I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be very similar to a concert. Yeah, you know, uh, crap light and people moving fast. I mean, mm -hmm. this is basically what a concert is. Um, but the difference really is is that a, a boxing match is completely different from a concert, you know, because people actually move a lot faster and there's, there's certain, there's different outcomes that you're trying to, trying to achieve. Yeah. You know, that kind of, that, that shot where somebody's, you know, you, you, you basically capture the frame where he's just hitting the face and the glove makes contact with the face, for example, and you see spit and sweat, you know, frozen there. That's a classic shot, backlit possibly. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of a classic shot. It's really difficult to get actually in the context of an actual fight. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, where you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And this is one of the problems um, when you're shooting, um, you know, 
a fight like that is you're constantly roaming around the ring. There's so many different things you got to take care of. Um, you know, there's so many different um, shots that you have to get. Um, and there are also certain things you have to avoid, like blood, for example, hmm. right, in this particular nice. context. So, um, so it's actually, you know, if you can lay off some of the decision-making and, you know, outsource that to the computer brain in your camera, then, you know, that's great. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, my pride went straight back into my pocket and um, I went like semi-automatic modes. Uh, okay. Nice. <laughs> you know? So, I like it. So, yeah. I um, like it. Totally all right with that. If it gets you the shot, it gets you the shot. Well, whatever matters. makes, absolutely, you know, whatever gets you the result. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the next thing was uh, not doing enough relevant work. And that's, I think, probably the biggest one for me. Finally, one that isn't just a life lesson. I mean, that not doing enough uh, relevant work really means that you're not really creating a body of work. Yes. And that, in my experience, is one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially in the beginning, you know, because very often you find people like, um, you know, skidding from one type of photography to another photo type yeah. of photography and then, you know, shoot like, uh, some properties and it shoots some headshots and it shoots some uh, portraits and it shoots some like, you know, uh, newborn stuff yeah. and it shoots weddings. some weddings and shoot whatever. And in the beginning, of course, it's easy to, to sort of fall into the trap. And of course, you know, you're still learning, I guess, you know, and there's, there's actually a benefit to doing it yeah. as well. Um, I, I actually think it's a good thing to do yeah. that, um, to at diversify the it. Yeah. yeah. At the beginning, you know, you're learning, you you, you want to get yourself in as many different situations yeah. as you possibly can because it will make you better at what you do. Now, whether you display and share all of that work, now that's sure. a different question. Oh, Perhaps, you know, you're if you really want to go down the wedding photography route, but you're doing all these other things to keep, mm. to, you know, to make money, um, to learn, then perhaps separate that out entirely. You know, we want a dedicated wedding side to your business that is yeah. pe when people are looking for weddings, they only find that stuff. Yeah. If you want, if you do your personal street photography, keep that on your personal account and, you know, or and so on and so well, on and so on. I mean, that's, I think you're right. There's, there's this thing where, you know, especially in the beginning, um, a lot of people find that, you know, they want to share everything that they do. And of yeah. what it does is ultimately confuse, it confuses everyone, Yeah, you know? And so, you know, it's just this whole thing about being a jack of all trades and master of none type of thing, mm. you know? Um, I'm sure as photographers, we all shoot a whole lot of stuff that don't fall within the you know, the remit of what, what we do professionally or what we want to be known for or what oh, we are sure. known for or whatever. Yeah. And the only difference is, you know, if I shot a wedding tomorrow because somebody asked me or whatever, um, you would never see that on my website and you would also never see that on my social media ever mm. because it's not it's not really what I do. You know, I have shot some weddings before. I'm not a wedding photographer, but I have shot some weddings before. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I've done it, you know, as, as favors and because people ask and whatnot. Um, but that's not really what I do. So as a consequence, you, you're not really going to find that anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, how many, how many shoots have we done that were either designed to stretch our muscle a little bit or, you know, um, or were a learning experience or didn't go down well at all you know many you'll never i mean you never see that stuff no you know this is no. always um 
that's the thing that, that makes me chuckle a little bit, you know, especially when it comes to social media. Um, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I'm following you, I don't know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, you know, social media um, profile. And like, you know, your photos are amazing. Mm. I was like, okay, well, thank you. What you don't know and what you don't see are all the other hundreds or thousands of shots that are absolute crap. So, so, so maybe I'm just a little bit better at, you know, um, filtering out the crap from, from the gold. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I can, I, you know, I feel like I don't have to post everything. No. Like sometimes you see that sometimes like people post every single picture they take and you just go, well, there's no, there's no need for people to see what I'm eating for dinner. Yeah. It's, there's one thing, yeah. <laughs> there's one thing putting a bunch of stuff on your stories on Instagram, for example, cause they're gone within 24 hours and yes. it just, okay. you know, that's it's, it's, you know, that, that's a, that's a separate um, sort of social media strategy, if you like. That's just sure. that's a bit separate to the whole whole thing. But you know, diversifying and doing doing. Look, for example, today we just did a shoot for a school. Yeah, all right. And we've done loads of stuff for schools over the years. <clears throat> sure. We don't share that stuff. No, mostly because you know, you know kids are involved and you can't you can't share. <laughs> yeah, that mostly, mostly stuff. because of GDPR. But we, don't really, hey? we, we rarely talk about it either because it's just yeah, it's just something that we do and it. Um, you know, it, it, and also quite like doing it. Better, we right? we enjoy fun. doing it. It's you know, it helps the schools out, helps the kids out. They get a different experience that they haven't had before with cameras there mm. and all all yeah. that kind of stuff. And that's great, great for them. But we, yeah, frankly, we also do it to make some more money. And sure, whatnot, absolutely. You know, and things are particularly at this time. Thing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things are taking their time to rebuild after. Well, well, we're still in the middle of COVID, I should say, right? Yeah. <laughs> But there you go. It's uh, it's normal. Yeah, you don't have to share it all because that's not something we necessarily want to be known for. But it is something that we do. Yeah. I mean, the thing about relevant work also is you know to, to um really spend the time on things that actually matter. Mm. You know, in, in a different thing is like for instance, you know, you can you can spend days, weeks, you know, designing your logo, but ultimately, or designing your website or whatever else, ultimately, people need to see your work. That's what you need to work on. It's actually your work. Yeah. Nobody's going to go, ooh, you know, uh, you know, Kirsten's got a super awesome logo. I love the logo, but his photos are shit. I mean, you're not mm. going to win anything, you know. I'd rather it'll just simply say my name in some god-awful font and the work's amazing. Okay, So Done. You know, it's like, what do you spend the, the, the time on, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, that's another thing to um, to to remember, I think. So in, a, in that sense, you know, I agree with that. The next one was not learning light. Okay. And that's, um, I have to say, that is probably um, my biggest bugbear. Um, you know, how many times do you speak to people, to other photographers and go like, oh, I'm just a natural light, an available light photographer. That's what I do. <laughs> and it's like, you go, okay, well, all right, let's get you out of a fix. Yeah, you know, and it's also it also limits what you can do because and, yeah. and here you're relying on something that's totally unreliable, especially where we live. Especially where we live. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Absolutely right. Yeah, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because it's 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 one of those things that you can learn a little, and it will take you a massively long way. Sure. And then obviously you can go really in depth with it and all sorts. But yeah. if you learn a few couple of fundamental principles and a handful of techniques. Do you think people tend to shy away from learning how to um, 
use either speed lights or studio strobes and you know um do you think they shy away from that because they're sort of intimidated yeah yeah i do mm. i think i think that's exactly what it is and there's no reason to be because it's i don't know if there's this an old perhaps an an old stick maybe it was harder to do it in the past right but it's, it's not it's as easy as anything well i mean in the days of film you you know you never knew what you were going to get you now you can yeah, review exactly the image immediately. in fact i bought um i bought a dummy head a few weeks ago called murphy creeps me the out <laughs> it's a little bit creepy but it's a dummy head the reason you know the reason i bought it you can you can stick it on a light stand it's kind of cool it's got a little mount so you can stick it on a light stand and you can adjust that so it looks like a head on a spike. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It looks exactly like a head on a spike. Um, but the, the cool thing about that is you can uh, you can use that as a as your model when you're yeah. experimenting with different. You totally. know, I don't know different modifiers or different ways of lighting or whatever else. Tell me when you're filming yourself at home for the odd episode here and there. Tell me you're putting that up for focus. I uh, know, but it's a damn good idea. Actually, that's a really good idea. There you I go. Ah, there you go. You can actually nice. get eye, eye, eye focus. Because as we know, your autofocus system is interesting. <clears throat> if I did have, a, yeah, well, if I, if I did have eye focus in my, in my ancient camera, matter. but, you know. But, yeah. I think, to be honest, you know, I would, I would add one of the... Your, one, cam- your camera's made of lead, isn't it? I, probably, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I would <laughs> <Thank> add <laughs> to this list um, is, you know, I, I always find that, you know... The difference between, this is often my impression, and sometimes, obviously, it doesn't always apply. I'm generalizing. But I very often find that when you, when you speak to um, amateur photographers or hobbyists, I would say, who have, you know, whatever job and disposable income, uh, the conversation very often goes, it goes towards like, oh, what's you know, the latest lens they bought or the latest camera body they yeah, bought or whatever. Now, when you speak to professionals, it's like everybody is sort of realizing that every time you spend money... It needs to. You have to have a pretty damn good business reason mm-hmm. as to why you're investing into your piece of kit. Because if it doesn't make you any money back, there really is no reason why you should be spending money on it. Yeah, you know that's always the. That's very true. That's the kind of critical um, thought. And in fact, I did a lighting workshop with a photographer the other day, um, which was super interesting, and I actually learned a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but because he was shooting with umbrellas, I I really virtually almost. Uh, well, not never, but I very rarely shoot with umbrellas because uh, I just love softboxes so mm-hmm. much. Um, but his umbrellas were literally 30, 30 years old. Wow. Did they work any any worse than than the latest whatever? No, What's they that? don't. I mean, he's had, I mean, he spent zero money and, and his strokes were bloody ancient as well. Um, the images he got were amazing. Yeah. You know, um, it's only worth changing stuff or upgrading stuff if it a is broken, sure, is is now actively hindering you from something that you need or want to achieve. That's um, you know, uh, for example, just let's you know we do let's take your your seven fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the video is all right now, actually. The ten eighty, it's actually not bad at all. Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to come a point soon where it's going to, you're going to need 4k. Yes. So that's true. So, so that, that's, 
when that time comes, mm. I don't think that time's necessarily here right now, but when that time comes, that and then may become a hindrance. Yeah, absolutely. For you to <laughs> create what you want to create. Yeah. That's just one example of uh, a time where it might be worth considering. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know... It's, it's like me upgrading from, you know, Nikon Steels and Panasonic mm. video to an entire Canon system. Yeah, like an integrated system, um, sure. There were, there were, we've talked about this before, we don't have to go into it in any kind of detail right now, but it was one, getting it all within one brand. Two, the video capabilities of the GH5S, while the quality of video was great, the autofocus became a complete hindrance for me mm. and just didn't do what I needed to do. You could only get 120 in um, 1080p, had no autofocus in, one, mm. in 120, that for me became a massive hindrance then yeah. it had to change i could no longer get to create what i wanted to create yeah. with that camera the um it was an APS-C stills camera that i had as well mm-hmm. was starting that's not a bad thing i'm yeah. not dissing that in any way but i wanted some better low light performance was it d7200 yet? yeah it was, was it? yeah oh, okay. mm. um i wanted better low light performance from my stills camera and I needed a secondary camera that shot video, and the video on that was atrocious. Yeah. So there are two of the you know, big reasons why I shifted at that point, and that made, you know, it, financially, it was a big hit. <laughs> yeah, massive. But in the long run, yeah. you know, think of all the jobs we've done since I changed that gear. Well, and the beauty of it is, of course, now, you know, because it's all part of the same infrastructure um, mm. your know, environment. <clears throat> you, you know you can you can interchange lenses and you know yep. you have a lot more a lot more options because i remember like you know you had a whole set of panasonic lenses and a whole set of nikon lenses and it was like okay well it's a lot of lenses yeah you know and yeah. so you're probably thinking you know in the long run you're probably sinking more money into having these two incompatible systems yes um, compared to integrating it all um you know so yeah i mean i can see that it was a you know there was a there was a wise move although of course you now sort of in a in a position where you have to make all that money back because you've yeah that uh, that's right that's absolutely right you know but i thought but, about this the other day but that's um, also why i got the cameras that i did get is because i'm also yeah. future proofing with them as well True. um plus they're both are yeah. the same mount exactly the same mount it's not the old canon mount either yeah. so that's that that's going to see me through i i can't see any real reason to upgrade mm. from these in oh, many yeah. many years when you know i the reason why I still use the D750 is um, predominantly because the sensor is so good mm-hmm. um, and and the glass is so good. And, you know, it works together really well. And I'm really used to it. Um, and I haven't really, in what I do, I haven't really come up against any real limitations. Nothing that would be dramatic enough for me to think I can't shoot this job because no. I don't have the right tool, you know. I think from a video aspect, because that's developed so much over the past few years, th- oh. there is big reasons for that. But from a yes. stills perspective, the quality of image isn't going isn't changing. Might no, really. exactly. Yeah, the convenience of functions that you have within that camera is what really kind of makes a difference. You know, having had this conversation with um, with Tommy last week, you know, um, and talking about, for instance, you know, he's uh, changed to the Canon R five mm-hmm. recently from like a really ancient five D Mark three, I think. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about um, the eye focus, the eye mm-hmm. autofocus in the in the R five, and how that's really been sort of a total eye opener yeah. when he was shooting. You know the uh, the couple coming walking down the aisle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. If I if I 
with shooting weddings, I can I can absolutely see the advantage because what that does is it gives you a higher yield of shots. Mm. And so therefore About there's that. a real, you know, there's a real um, opportunity to create better work. Totally cool. Because, you know, once that happens, you can then have a look at pricing and where you position yourself in the market and all the rest of it. It's really useful. Um, you know, for what I do, um, it doesn't really apply because a lot of the stuff I do is is basically studio based. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So um, there's no real advantage. Where the iFocus I autofocus thing comes in handy, I think, you know, is is when you do volume headshot sessions, for example, where you're shooting like hundred people. Totally. Yeah. Um that is yeah, you don't have to focus on on hitting the eye and you know, moving the thing, you just let it do its thing and yeah, that actually takes hassle out of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I can I can see that with that, but it's what yeah. do you want to pay for that convenience? You know, or that time save, whatever it might yeah. might be. You know, and you know, and the thing is, of course, you can't charge the client more. No, because all of a sudden you've got IO to focus. Yeah, so I mean that's always the that's the thing. You know? Speaking of which, my R six got a firmware update today. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <clears throat> couple of interesting additions to it, which are, I've not really been keeping up on it with it, if I'm honest with you. But uh, so it might have been announced for ages. But the two additions that caught my eye were um, vehicle tracking. So at the moment it's got, um, you know, face eye detection. It's got animal um, detection. And now it's going to have vehicle tracking. Now that could be interesting. It has torso tracking. And it's got torso tracking. And what that means is that if if you've got it, Mm. I'm going to guess if you've got it on eye face tracking, and it cannot pick out an eye or a face for some reason. Maybe you they're not the head or the head isn't in shot. It's in too much shadow or there's hair completely covering, whatever it might be. But it can see that there's a body there. It will switch <laughs> and focus on the body, which may or may not be a good thing. Who knows? But it's an interesting addition. Mm. It's, it's, you know, what they're thinking about adding is quite interesting. I mean, although, you know, you have to think like, okay, what's what's going to be next? So now they've got, they've got, they've got eye tracking, face tracking, you know, animal tracking, uh, torso tracking, so kneecap tracking next. I mean, what is the next thing? Left earlobe tracking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I started to write earlobe. It's not working. <laughs> oh, damn it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, who knows whether I'll even use it. I don't know. I just love the fact that, you know, you can you can improve the performance of of your equipment by doing a software update. Yeah, I mean that in itself is absolutely cool. assuming the physical side of the camera can is capable no. of it. There's no reason not to add this stuff. Because the interesting thing then becomes like, okay, well, what if you apply this, let's say, to microphones? Mm-hmm. You know, can you change like electronically if you have some you know software in there that can change the the the, the pattern, you know, from one pattern to another pattern or something like that. You know, you can just change it, like just upload another thing and it does another thing. Well, that is interesting because it's a lot of it's physical things within a microphone that happens. However, yeah. uh, there's a company called Lewitt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else does it. They um, do a mic where, if, now anyone who does know about this stuff or use this mic or seen it, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong because I'm just trying to remember, where you actually plug two XLRs into it, I believe. Okay. The XLRs come out, but what that enables you to do is to put their plug-in onto the channel after the fact right. and change the polarity ah. afterwards to whatever you want. Okay. And, you know, from omni to cardioid to yeah. supercardioid and, and so on and so on and so yeah. on. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I was really impressed with, uh, when we went to the photography show and we spoke to our friends at Rode, 
Um, and, you know, we're talking about the, the roadcaster, which mm -hmm. is basically a mixing desk for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, that's specifically designed for podcasting, which is super interesting. And what that did was this blew my mind. It's, um, you know, one of the problems you have very often when you're using desks like that, um, let's say you've got, you know, you have four speakers and you plug four mics in, but you don't have the same four mics, you have different mics. You plug them in, they all sound a little bit different. And that could be an issue, you know, when you're trying to balance four voices off against each other. Yeah. But the cool thing about this thing is that it electronically matches um, the mics that you plug in to like different presets and makes them sound the same. It's EQ matching. So if it knows the mic you're using mm -hmm. and it's got it inbuilt, you can say, I am using um, an SM7B, yeah. right? And you're using an NT1. Let's say someone else is using an NT1. Mm. Um, just in theory, I want to make the SM7B mm. sound like the NT1. I don't know why you would want to do that, but mm. that's what you want to do. And it's got the SM7 in there and the NT1. I want this to sound like the yeah. NT1. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, if you think about it, that's a really clever little yeah. thing to do. Um, so, yeah, that's a fun very impressive. You need to get yourself back in the audio world. I do all this stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I've been out of that for quite some time. <laughs> you know, back in my day, we had like, you know, dynamic mics. Dynamic mics. <laughs> what is this phantom power? Yeah, I tell you what. I tell you what. Actually, talking about audio, just, just for a second, um, we we talked about the uh, Peter Jackson's Beatles uh, documentary a little while ago. La, 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 la. <laughs> Get Back. Um, really interesting. If you are if you have Disney Plus, check it out. It's called Get Back. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was I found really remarkable was the fact that not only does it look amazing, I mean, it really looks like it was filmed yesterday, which is yeah. incredible. We talked about this before. But um, so Peter Jackson and his team developed, um, developed brand new audio restoration technology to restore the audio. Um, because basically what they did was they were recording, you know, candid conversations with a mic in a room. You can actually see it in the footage it's on a boom arm and they basically lower it sort of in the middle of them. And that records everything, the instruments, you know, when they're playing, when they're talking, sometimes they're talking over somebody else playing. I mean, it's a typical band rehearsal. Yeah. Somebody never shuts up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And exactly. Thomas. And so, and so, you know, all of that's going on, but what they managed to do is completely restore the audio on that mm. so that you can hear everything with absolute clarity, all the conversations, and they sound like modern recordings. I hope they release something that goes through all of that in a bit more detail. There'll, oh, there'll behind be the scenes, there must be, yeah. Because I'd love to see that because um, there's a company called Isotope who kind of mm. lead the way generally on mm. audio restoration. And that stuff's very expensive. You know? yeah. For their main suite, I've, it's probably seven or eight hundred pounds you right. know it's but it's worth it in general um there's some audio restoration you're gonna have to do on the on the behind the scenes footage i don't have the 800 pound suite <laughs> i have Damn the it. slightly cut down version 34 pounds no 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 it's a few <laughs> hundred quid but it's slightly yeah. cut down yeah. um yeah you can go into it and be very yeah. surgical and go into real real parts but I generally just do an overall thing because that's ninety nine percent of the stuff I only need. So, I, you know, again, the thing that really fascinated me about this documentary is just how good it it looks and how good it sounds. Mm. Um, you know, even when they're just even when they're playing through a song or something, it sounds really good. There's one mic in the room; it's incredible. Yeah, you know, I'd love a to shitty see, mic love in the room, by the way. It. Like we're talking about a nineteen sixty nine mic in the room. I don't know. Some of the best mics in the world well, ever, ever I mean, created, arguably. Perhaps not for. 
television. Uh, but... well, okay, so here's here's something I want to know. Now I've been because I've been watching the the Beatles documentary and stuff. And actually, you know, to be fair, my parents were big Beatles fans. Um, and when I was a kid, I was like, you know, that's my parents into that old stuff, and it wasn't really, you know. And I've really throughout my musical career, I've never really paid much attention to the Beatles. Okay. Okay. Um, and so when this documentary came out, I kind of sort of thought, oh, that's actually interesting. I don't really know that much about that period and what they actually did. Um, and so I decided to look into that a little bit more. And, um, and so I listened to some of their albums in a little bit more detail, like Sgt. Pepper, for example, you know, Rubber Soul. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, you know, when you go onto, uh, onto Spotify, for example, you see a lot of, uh, remix, not remixes, um, remastered, remastered, you know, and it's those different versions, like remastered in 2009 and the same thing yep. remastered in 2018. And you listen to those. They are different. And I actually sometimes think they're not necessarily an improvement. They're not an improvement. You know. But they are not. The original, they're not. So I don't like them. You know, so it's uh, it's interesting, especially on uh, Sgt. Pepper's um, Hot Club Band. Mm. That's a really good example where, listen Great to example. the original. Yeah, you listen to the original and kind of go, that's a really kicking tune. Yeah. And then I listen to some uh, remastered version. I'm like, this doesn't sound anything like it. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. The original, original mono and stereo versions mm. are are the best ones. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I've heard the mono version of a lot yeah. of them. But I've heard the stereo, the original stereo versions where drums are generally on one side. Yes. And that kind of stuff. Like some of the old Hendrix stuff was yeah. a bit like that. But if you can try not to listen to those in the car or on headphones, yeah, that is a bit disconcerting. Extremely annoying in the car. But if you can listen to it on an actual system and yeah. sit back away from the speakers yeah. and just take it in in that way, mm. it's that's how it's meant to be. I, really, I dislike those kind of stereo recorders in the car because in a car, obviously, you're not centric. You're always you're sitting in, in yeah. our country, you're sitting on the right. In your country, if you're listening to this, you might be sitting on the left. but you know. The wrong side, yeah. The wrong side. <laughs> and we're literally sitting on the right side. <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. Anyway. But do you uh, know why? Well, I do know why. I know the history for this. Isn't it because when people used to write past each other and they were right-handed, they could draw their swords or something? Almost. Is that, is that right? Almost. So we were, uh, so back in medieval times when they, they used to do jousting. Ah. And they always <laughs> held the joust in their right hand, yeah. which meant they needed to be on the left-hand side of the rail. Yes. True. So they could, could hit each other off the mm. horse. And that's why we ended up, um, that's why driving started happening on the left-hand because, side of the road, right? Because Brits still do a lot of jousting on the motorways. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> that happens uh, every day. I see it. Oh, my God. After, after the duel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but that's why we drive on this side of the road. Right, right. The correct side of the road. And it was only because, I can't remember, it, I think it was uh, America, or was it someone else? I, f I forget now exactly. Or maybe it was France, probably France. Hmm. Who then said, you know what? Just because we don't really like you, we're <laughs> driving on the other side of the road. Right. That's what happened. Right. I just can't remember which country that was. Right. It would have been France, wouldn't it? It sounds like it would be France, yeah. wouldn't it? It would have been France or Germany, maybe. No, I don't, I don't think it was Germany. No. Anyway, there you go. Little nuggets of information exactly. for you there. Lots anyway. of uh, educational stuff on this podcast, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, All right, cool. Now, what else are we going to talk about? Well, um, anything in the next two minutes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so um, 
I saw some again. I, I read. I read something, and it just reminded me of a conversation I had with somebody the other day. Actually, and it's all about you know whether or not to add um, pricing to your website. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought it was quite. It's a, you know, there's something I think people argue about, and there's you know um, various points of view, opposing points of view. You know, some people say you shouldn't put your pricing on your website ever, and other people say, well, you should be totally transparent and put all your prices on there. On, on your website. Yeah. And of course there are pros and cons um for both you know for both opinions yeah. really. Ooh, well, my phone just started. Hello phone. <laughs> so um you know there, there are those who say, well, if you're putting your prices on your website, you're basically excluding um, you know, a whole range of potential clients because you're either too cheap or too expensive. Why is that a bad thing? Well that's the question to be explored, you know. I don't think that's a bad thing. Because, hmm. well, there's a couple of things that could happen. It's you potentially alienate those those potential clients because you, you're, you're expensive to them. Mm-hmm. The problem with working with those clients is that a couple of things happen. You don't really want to work with them because... They're paying you less. They will still expect the same kind of results, though, but you're getting paid a lot less. There's there's just a disconnect mm-hmm. between client and photographer in this instance. And they're just not your client. You're in a different pricing bracket. Now, sure. on the flip side of that, when you have that conversation with that person, you may not be drastically outside their price range. And you might be able to come to some kind of a deal or compromise where you can still give them the same quality. You might be doing it slightly cheaper, but you drop something off. Um, or in the, the better way would be for them to come up to your price that you want to charge, but you throw in a couple of other things to sweeten mm-hmm. the deal for them to make sure, sure. You, you know, to land that particular yeah. client. It's ultimately always a negotiation to a degree. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the same is kind of true of those that... You, you know, those clients who uh, want to pay more or would be willing to pay more, I should mm. say. There's a, uh, that's a diff- that's a slightly different situation. That's a little harder to yeah. to overcome. But there was an interesting um, example that I that I read about the other day, um, which, which sort of fits in here. Um, imagine this, right? Imagine there are two identical paintings on a wall, right? One was painted by a 17th century French master. Um, it's absolutely priceless um it's like 300 years old um and the one next to it is a modern replica which is basically totally identical every down to every brush stroke um everything is 100 percent identical but it was painted by an art student three years ago they're totally identical in any for in any way shape or form um why do you think one is more valuable than the other? Well, I guess it kind of comes down to the circumstance in which each painting was painted. It comes Does that down, make sense? It comes down to the story element. Mm, yeah. Um, the story of a painting that was painted by one of the great masters 300 years ago is a much more intriguing and interesting and valuable, therefore, story than the story of you know, something that was painted 
two years ago by an art student. Yeah. And ultimately, the original is the original. That per- that painter came up with yeah. that painting. This one's just copied it. Yeah, exactly. Stroke for stroke. Again, it doesn't make any difference to the actual painting because it's exactly no. identical. But it's the backstory that yeah. attaches value to it. And so, you know, if you ask anybody, you know, which painting would you rather take home? I, I think the vast majority of people would pick the, you know, the, the mm. you know, old Dutch master type of a thing, you know, painting. And And so... Uh, very often, it's a story that's attached to something that actually gives you the sense of value, and um, you know, I think you can see that a lot in photography. Um, you know, I think when you get to a certain level, it's you know, it's like you can't really say anymore. You know, this guy's headshots are amazing because they're lit well. I mean, there's a point where lighting something well, understanding, you know, lighting is just a given. I mean, that's just a baseline. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all like all of us here know how to light something. It's it's lighted well. That's not that's not the defining factor anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. So why does one person charge a thousand pounds, another person charges sixty quid or something? Um, there's a lot more to it than yeah. just you know, just the face value. And very often, of course, it's the experience. Like a good example is, um, you know, I do get those calls actually quite regularly where people just want to come in, they want to do one headshot, and they want to be in and out in no time at all. And when it, when they look at my prices, which is my price on my website, um, they sort of go, well, you know, I don't want all that. I just want a quick headshot, which I need from a LinkedIn profile or whatever. Um, you know, uh, is there something you can do on the price? And typically I say no. Mm-hmm. Um, if yep. I had to do it about three calls or something only recently. Um, it's because that's not what I want to do. You mm-hmm. know, um, I want to invest the time to get a really good shot. And the one factor in that is time. It's not the lighting. You know, I can light somebody well. I can come in for five minutes and I, I take one photo and it's lit well. That's not that's not the issue. Uh, what I'm looking for is to get the expression, the mm-hmm. relaxation, you know, the look, all that kind of stuff. That only happens when somebody relaxes in front of the in front of the lens. And that's not gonna happen in a minute and a half. Yeah. That's gonna that's take right. more time. Um so that's you know, that's a thing that that is very different. But as a consequence, of course, my clients have different clients from the ones that want to spend very little on a headshot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, that was a conscious decision, you know, to move, to move to that kind of business model. Um, and, uh, and so on. So, so that, you know, that's a, that's an argument for, uh, you know, displaying your prices. Um, on that, I mean, the the other, I mean, again, there's pros and cons. If you don't have your price on your website, what can happen is that you know you get a lot of people who are comparing different photographers and yep. different services, basically. Absolutely. And you know, if they don't see your price, I was going to move on to the next guy who has that price. And they, no, this guy's a little bit cheaper than that guy, or whatever. And you know, they're going to go with that. That's fine. Um, on the plus side, if you don't have your price on that, um, is may lead to somebody contacting you and asking, and then you have the chance to build up a conversation, absolutely, and make that connection. But of course, that's an, an additional obstacle, and we all know that in a sales process, you want to eliminate as many <laughs> obstacles as possible. Quite. So, if you're requiring your potential client to be proactive and take that step, you're putting up a barrier between you and the client. That's one way of looking at it, of course. Yeah. Um, and so, and again, on the plus side, you're, you know, if you have your prices on your on your website. Then you're filtering out those who either can't afford your services mm-hmm. or 
those who are looking for something maybe more boutique or whatever else, right? Um, and so you're kind of automatically uh, filtering out those those people who are not necessarily your clients. So these are all like pros and cons. But they might dismiss you based on the figures that they see on the website and you never actually get the chance to have that conversation in the first yeah. place. So it's a, I think it's a, it's a difficult balancing act and I can understand how um, especially new photographers you know, struggle with that quite a lot. Um, or maybe not, not only new photographers, but um, you know, anyone at some point. Absolutely, yeah. And so there's, there's this, um, this in-between solution, which I quite like, um, which is the you know, starting from type of solution where you're sort of just um, throwing out hints as to where your pricing may lie without actually giving definitive price points. You might, or, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, the range thing from till. And depending on what it, what it is that you do, um, if you do family photography, for example, or you run a photo studio, you could say, you know, portrait sessions ranging from 99 pounds to 300 pounds or something like that. So you can give them a range and then you cover a lot of bases and you still have that, you have to have that conversation with a potential client because you need to see where they are. Yeah. Uh, are they the 99 pound client or are they, are yeah. they the 300 pound client, you know, whatever. Um, and then you can sort of tailor things to where everybody's happy. You know, they can afford this. You can give them that much for that, um, and so on and so forth. Maybe time, um, or, or number of shots, or whatever it may be. So that's a, that's very often a good solution for, you know, for for doing things. As always, it doesn't apply to all forms of photography, and really very much depends on what it is that you're doing. Um, but it's a good way of but thinking. The, of it. These and um, this isn't even necessarily photography related this is any small business service um, related yeah absolutely know, for sure it's, it's it's the same same deal um i'm i have to say i'm in two minds about it in general i like the idea of starting from and giving a range um mm. i like the idea of putting your full kind of price and cost on there i like the idea of not putting your cut i like yeah, them yeah, all yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I mean i changed my you kind of want to try them out and yeah. see see how business fluctuates I changed, we, again, you know, we, we have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have changed, you know, about a year, maybe a year ago or something, I changed the way I display prices on my website. Um, I used to do what many people do. I used to have three packages, you know, the stereotypical low-end package, the, the midway package, and then the expensive package. And of course, most people would sort of fall into the, the middle kind of package sort yep. of thing. Um, that's a very tried and tested pricing strategy. It works quite well. You position the middle package so it's closer to the, more expensive packaging is the cheapest one. But in principle, you're basically banking on most people going for the, the middle yep. thing. Um, that's cool. Uh, what, what I did um, on advice of, of a friend uh, was that I changed my pricing structure where I basically said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do a session fee plus cost per photo. And so what I did was, you know, I went like, okay, this is my session fee. And then each photo, um, you know, cost this much on top. And then, um, you know, what then happens is, is that first of all, there's a base price, you know, which is, is actually higher than my middle package used to be. So I'm, I'm actually quits in mm. automatically, but what happens during the session, this is the way it's perceived by the, yeah. Client, and, right? Well, and, and the thing is like, uh, why don't I change it to an unlimited um, mm -hmm. amount of time? So it's, I'm not sort of saying like, because the thing with packages very often is you're like, okay, well, you have like a 20 minute session, I don't know, the hour session and the two hour session or whatever. You could, you could differentiate your packages that way mm -hmm. um, and it come with other benefits and this and that. But um, so I, again, I moved away from that and um, 
and what I do now is basically I don't put a limit on the, on the session length. Um, and, you know, and so therefore I can, um, I can guarantee almost that the end result is going to be better and the client's going to, the client's going to like it more, um, because we have more time in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is you can run through different setups because you're not limiting yourself time-wise. You're not saying like, oh, the, the, almost at the end of the hour and I won't be able to get the back, the, I don't know, the black background yeah. in anymore. The, the genius thing about this is that because it's unlimited time, let's just say it's four, four or six hours that, that mm -hmm. you end up doing it, you get through those different background changes, costume changes, whatever they might be. They're going to want one of each of those, and probably. That is exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. So the upsell part of it, um, you know. What are you charging per, per photo in that, that kind of context? In this context, it's £35. That's a bargain. Yeah, I mean, basically. I, you, I, I know a, a, an animal stroke, primarily dog photographer. Of I know of one. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much she's charging per photo? What's it? Technically, they look really good. Mm-hmm. But he has absolutely zero ability to get any kind of expression or something interesting happening with that dog in in a studio setting as mm. well. Eight hundred pound. Okay. Per photo. Right. How many is he selling? Uh, a lot. All oh, right. Okay. Interesting. Given the area that I'm into dog photography from in. now. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> See, that's the funny. That's the funny thing, isn't mm. it? I know we're just going off on a bit of a tangent mm. here, but people are willing to pay more for something to do with their the pet that oh, they love yeah, yeah, than yeah. they are for uh, photos of themselves yeah absolutely right there's that i mean in in the it's sort of it's actually hard to do it's, it's hard to do i mean in, in the headshot context you know it's um you know what it allows you to do is first of all because you've got unlimited time you can you can run through as many setups as you want um and you're quite right you know most clients will then you know choose at least one shot from each yeah. Or very often choose one shot from each um, setup. And so you automatically, if you're running through five setups, that's five times you know, yeah. 35 quid um, plus the session fee. So, you, so what happens at the end of the session is your bottom line is much stronger than had you said, this is the package. Because by saying this is the package, you're limiting, you, you're putting an upper limit on how much you can po possibly make from that session. Mm -hmm. you, um, you eradicate that limitation by saying, okay, well, you know, we might be doing, you know, maybe on this session, you know, I'm only selling one photo. So it's, you know, my session fee plus one photo. But then on another session, I sell the session fee plus five photos. And overall, you end up with, you know, with, uh, you know, more income per session mm -hmm. than you did if you put, if you put a limit on it. And probably more income per session than what your top tier package used to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 100%. You know, so what what I found is that for me, anyway, um, it's made headshots more lucrative um, than than it was before. Yeah, and and you know, it was really just the realization that I was really self limiting myself. And what then. a simple change it was, really. Right, you're practically not really doing anything else, anything no. different, other than your sessions are generally a oh, bit longer. There's two things. I mean, actually, I tell you what. The, yeah, and that's, is that true though? Um, are your sessions actually longer? Yes, they are. They are. They are um, I wouldn't say by much yeah, because the thing is, you know, when you I when bet. you sell a one hour session, you know, and the client, you know, things are going well, you might throw another fifteen minutes into it. You know, yep. it doesn't matter um, because you want to be nice and you don't want to like boot yeah, somebody yeah. out the door. Yeah. But um, you know, what what does happen? I tell you what does happen actually. Don't do that out there if you do that. 
give them an extra 15 yeah. minutes. Um, <laughs> unless you've got people queuing up, of course. Then don't book your sessions so close together. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but, you know, um, I tell you what, it's one of the biggest differences that it has made by not limiting the time of the session. I am more relaxed because I'm not yeah. constantly glancing at my at my watch. Yeah. I'm not constantly you, you thinking. You can take that extra 10 minutes to set whatever it is you're setting at that moment, making yeah. sure the lighting, it, you know what, that'll be fine before. That's good there. I know that's good there. It's going to work. Now you've got a little opportunity to go, yeah. well, what if I just tweak it just a little bit yeah. to take a few more test shots and see what happens. And, you know, and, and you're, you're building up that relationship um, yeah. with the client. And we talked about this before. I, I like to kind of go in with a long lens um, to start with, you know, and then as you, as you build up that relationship, okay. you, um, you then end up changing focal length and you get in, you get in closer yeah. and, uh, and, you know, and you're really kind of cementing that relationship between mm-hmm. you and the client. And then as a result, you end up with happier clients. So the funny thing is like, I'm a lot more relaxed when I'm shooting. I actually come out with, you know, more money per session. My clients are much happier. So it's a total all-round win-win situation. So I'll just um, rephrase what Kay just said there. Charge your clients more, they will be happier. <laughs> okay, so... And on that bombshell... <laughs> well, actually, I mean, let, me, let me just clarify this with one thing. So you get it. you got to... Um, you got to detach yourself, I think. And this is the difficult part. This is the difficult part. And this is why it was difficult for me to take that step and change my pricing. Because mm-hmm. that was really, I was mulling that over for a long time before I actually ended up being brave enough to actually go for it and change it. Because I thought, okay, what could happen is that, you know, all of a sudden people think I'm too expensive and they won't book me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a fear, yeah. you know. And that very often prevents you from changing things because you think, you know, but what if, what if, what if? So... But what is you know what's actually what's actually happened is that um, I'm now I guess I mean you know people look at the pricing that seems to be more expensive, um, but my clientele has changed as well. So my gut reaction and feeling towards you changing that in that way is that you have lost some clients that you pot- potential clients. Sure. Po- no no question it ha- must have happened, but you've replaced those with a whole different set of clients who I am willing to bet will become repeat customers. So the thing is like, imagine this, right? If you're, let's say for argument's sake, uh, you charge a hundred pounds. So it's just for the simplicity of numbers, right? You charge a hundred pounds for something. Um, in order to make a thousand pounds, you have to find 10 clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you charge 500 pounds for something, it seems like your pool of, of uh, people who can afford a service is much smaller, but you really only have to, find two clients yeah not 10 yeah your pool of clients is yeah. potentially smaller which is the thing like i don't know if you i don't know if you get this here but i remember you know we used to have a high, like a little photo studio in the high street uh, where i live and it's not it's no longer there but it used to be there for years i think and we used to get these uh, flyers through the door like family shoot 40 quid and you go i used to look at this and go like 40 quid are you nuts like how can anybody make a living on 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 doing a shoot for 40 quid so I'm thinking immediately, I'm thinking, well, first of all, that's probably going to last 10 minutes, you know? Mm. Okay. But how many clients do you have to find to make that worth your while? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's it's, some... it's one thing doing that for one day. It's one off special day oh, to get a whole different new, thing. Hopefully a whole new set of clients for the future, just from that one day. It's a different loss leader, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's one thing. But if that's what you do, 
And that's a, yeah. that's difficult. And it was, it was literally 40 quid. I'm thinking like, right, either... I'd be stressful. I'd be so stressed. Well, it's, it's you know. So, um, you know... Because that's the kind of price where most... I think a lot of people, particularly these days, and I know you're probably going back a little way as well, but these days I think most people go, that's too cheap, it's going to be cr- rubbish. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's, you know, you're probably fine. I mean, you find, obviously, you find people, you know, that, that will come through your door. Um, but a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like... Well, mainly I'm thinking like how, again, how many of those do you have to find? I mean, it's just, you know, that's nuts. The amount of people you actually need to, um, to make it worthwhile. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's crazy. So anyway, pricing is always going to be difficult. I think it's always going to be individual to a point. I think so. Um, you know, but it's something that's worth putting a lot of thought into and trying things out to see what happens, you know? You know, hopefully you can learn quickly what it's doing yeah. so you can revert back or try a different way yeah. of doing it as well. You never, you never know. And you never know. I mean, you know, you change your pricing structure. If you have a lot of people, you know, running down your door, yeah. you know, or beating down your door, then, you know, you, there's a good argument to say, like, you need to raise your prices, right? Absolutely. Um, you need to kind of adjust it to, um, you know. That's another good point. To, you know, um, demand, basically. But, um, but nevertheless, it, you know, it is... It's it's different pricing strategies. I think that is really what we're talking about. We're not really talking about the level of pricing per se. No, we're more talking no. about different different ways to price. Yeah, um, and that's you know I think that's extremely useful uh, information for somebody starting out. Absolutely. Um, it's also just realizing that things are not cut and dry. Uh, you can always change yeah. things if you find they're not working. Yeah. Um, as long as you're brave enough to take that step, um, you know, and you can experiment. You know a little bit. Totally agree. So awesome. Again, on that bum- bombshell, bombshell, yeah. on, that, on that bombshell, bum, that bar, don't <laughs> know about your bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell, um, that is pretty much it yeah. for today. We've come to the end of episode eighty-five of the Camera Shake podcast. Remember, um, if you want to have, you know, f- first glances on our um, behind-the-scenes special, then make sure you head over to camerashakepodcast.com, hit the uh, join the community button. Be super awesome to see you there. And uh, we've got some super awesome goodies coming up. We do. We do. I was just thinking, I wonder if Tommy actually watched the YouTube version of his own video last week. Or whether he still watched the audio version. So, Tommy, if you're listening. (laughs) I will say one thing. Okay. And I listened to Tommy's um, podcast the other day, um, The Talk Pod, Mm -hmm. which uh, I listened to it in the car. I genuinely listened to it um, on the motorway as I was driving. And I, it was... You must have been bored. No, I just, I genuinely wanted mm-hmm. to, because I saw, you know, I saw it coming up um, on social media and I thought, I'll, you know, I like I like listening to stuff like that. I listened to it. And it was generally funny. It's a, there's a, little, a funny little sequence that might give you a clue um, about what there is in store for 2022. So I highly recommend, you know, head over to the talk pod as well. You know, give, give those guys a chance, um, you know, have a listen. Um, it's, you won't be disappointed. It is super fun. Um, some very, very, very useful information. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I've learned a couple of things because I'm, again, I'm not a wedding photographer and it's really interesting, um, to listen to, um, you know, to Tommy and Alex, uh, Alex Benning, who's also, you know, a former guest on the show, um, you know, talk about the way they do certain things and, you know, uh, the problems that they have and the solutions that I find, especially in conjunction with Brexit. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I certainly, I generally have learned a couple of things, uh, stuff it's that I wasn't good. aware of. Um, so, 
well worth checking out. Go and subscribe to those guys as well. And we actually interview both Tommy and Alex together at uh, in our photography show episode. Yes, correct. So go recheck that out <laughs> as well. Right. So anyway, what well, we have generally come to the end of the show. Um, remember, head over to camerashakepodcast.com. Um, hit the uh, join our community button. Uh, we will we will super, absolutely love to see you there. Um, with that being in mind, we shall see you again next week. See you later.